If you've been following the news, you know that Russia has claimed that they have successfully developed a coronavirus vaccine. A lot of skepticism in regards to this. A lot of other countries around the world are trying to develop vaccines as quickly as they can as well. Even if there is a vaccine in place, so does that mean that we can all go back to normal pre-COVID-19 and live life the way it has been? Uh, We know here in Korea we're suffering from another outbreak, and it does look like uh, post-coronavirus. There are going to be some questions as to what life we are going to lead, and this uh, often cited, uh, even cliched phrase, the new normal. So to discuss the uh, societal changes that are expected, we're very pleased to have joining us from the Department of Sociology, Anthropology, and Social Work at Auburn University, Professor Alan Furr on the line. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us, Professor Furr. So uh, in your view, how is the uh, coronavirus changing society? For example, are Aren't we already seeing the public's resistance to the shift to um, preserving uh, national health and ensuring safety over the rights of individuals? We see the debate uh, playing out in America with with masks and then uh, the uh, closing down of businesses. Uh, there, there does seem to be a bit of a divide. Yeah, it. Uh, I think we can. Well, first off, we have to say that that everything social has changed because everything that is social is either subjected to risk, you know, of getting infected, or it is subject to restrictions or infection control protocols. So I think we can think of change as both immediate and long-term. And the immediate changes are, or as you mentioned, are, are in response to the infection control protocols. And masks is one of them. Uh, there has been, as you mentioned, a lot of resistance to wearing masks. And, and I think it's a kind of a complicated phenomenon. I don't think it's just people saying, no, I don't, I'm not going to do it. I think it's actually more complicated than that. And it's probably speaking to uh, other social and political issues, kind of, you know, what some people call the culture wars that are now happening in the U.S., And that's going to be an interesting test case of how the country looks. And I guess we're largely going to look at it from the U.S. point of view. What kind of changes do you think we can expect, let's say, even if there is a successful vaccine that's developed after this months-long, maybe even a year of social distancing measures in place? What is society going to look like? Well, um, there, you know, it's hard to, to gaze into the crystal ball and make, make predictions that you have confidence that will come true. But I think we're certainly looking at, uh, at some social residue, some social problems that are, that are going to emerge from this. Um, so many people have lost their jobs. They've lost their savings. Uh, they, they, you know, children are, are going to get behind in school or uh, the risk is there because they're missing uh, a lot of school time. Uh, I think uh, I think we're exposing. Um, well, there's been a lot of mental health responses to this, a lot of depression and anxiety caused by either worrying about getting sick or uh, coming from the economic stresses that people are facing. So, some long-term uh, consequences, I think, are going to deal with things like housing. You know, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're going to be losing their homes pretty soon. We're going to see changes in residential patterns. We're already seeing people move out of New York City proper to less densely populated zones. Um, there's, um, uh, I, but I think the economic changes are going to take some time. 
for us to recover, uh, because the longer we go, the more serious these problems are going to be. Right. And it all ties down to a lot of these other issues that we've been seeing, the debate over whether to extend the $600 a week uh, employment, unemployment benefits, uh, how much fiscal spending is needed, what to do with this, uh, uh, as you say, sort of housing apocalypse that's going to be occurring with a lot of renters not able to pay their rents and uh, facing uh, eviction. So um, all of this has occurred in the past in varying degrees, maybe not in this uh unprecedented way with the pandemic and the economic uh, difficulties that ensued. Um, What can we see then? um, Are there ways to make predictions based on what you've observed with past pandemics, Professor? Yes. um, That's that's actually an interesting question because we we can look at how we've handled this epidemic or pandemic um, as if we had paid attention to previous ones, and then there's going forward of what we can expect to happen afterwards. I mean, there's some things that we simply did not learn. Uh, We did not learn that during epidemics, a lot of people tend to scapegoat others and blame people uh, unfairly and unjustly for the epidemics. Um, What we have not learned is um, to expect, uh, or we didn't learn that people's uh, health literacy uh, was maybe not where it should be because there's a lot of people in denial of the severity of this disease and how it's transmitted. We didn't learn to have a coordinated policy in place. Uh, so and we also didn't foresee resistance to masks. Uh, the, uh, there's some interesting stories from the 1918 flu epidemic here in the United States of people making the same claims about resisting to uh, to wear masks as they're making now. Hmm. So we didn't see we didn't see that coming. But I think um, but we have learned a lot. We've learned uh, how to how to handle it medically. We know that distancing and quarantining and masks work. We know that uh, there are vaccines for most diseases that plague us, and we now know how to create them, those vaccines, faster than we've done before. We've learned how to report cases and manage data, so we've learned those things. But in terms of everyday life and social things, I don't think we were prepared. I don't think, I think people knew it, but it didn't get you know, it didn't get put into policy. It didn't get put into decision-making. But usually what happens is that once everybody feels safe and the threat is gone, people return to normal. They return to their lives before the crisis. Well, uh, as you point out, with how the U.S. government has handled the uh, initial uh, coronavirus pandemic when it reached U.S. shores, there seems to be majority belief that uh, the Donald Trump administration uh, was incompetent in its uh, management of the pandemic. That being said, there is this uh, pocket of the U.S. population, uh, various uh, estimates, maybe 30, 35 percent of the American population that is essentially ride or die with whatever Trump says and believes uh, basically uh, everything that has been coming out uh, through uh, right wing media, not to get too political on this bent, but uh, post uh, COVID-19 and after the November U.S. presidential elections, uh, even if hypothetically uh, the uh, Democratic challenger Joe Biden ends up being the new president, that social cleavage does not seem to be going away anytime soon, right? We have millions of people who potentially won't even take the vaccine, uh, even if it is developed and deemed to be safe. And how do you think the country will navigate those waters? 
Oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, some people, some you know, some people talk about how uh, a people come together during a catastrophe and or a crisis, and we saw that for the first few weeks after nine eleven. Uh, but we're not seeing that here. Uh, some people have said that this this epidemic is going to help us, you know, bridge those divides. I don't know. I think I think the crisis is making them worse. Uh, it's you know, not wearing a mask is partly about conformity yeah. to that set of beliefs that is in denial that says. Uh, you know, it's not serious, that it's not real, it's just a minor flu. So there's, you know, there's, there are people who, who, who want to conform and need to be accepted by other people, and they latch on to, you know, groups mm. that, where they share values and they can feel safe and they can have an identity. So I think, uh, I, unfortunately, it has become political. It shouldn't. It should be yeah. scientific and common sense. But it has become political, and I, I think it's going to be hard to uh, to pull the sides together on this topic. We have le- got less than a minute, but any positive social impacts okay. coming out of this? Oh, I think so. Um, you know, there's always the proverbial silver lining. Uh, there's, uh, you know, one of the things I think is happening is uh, I think folks are having an appreciation for healthcare workers, you know, frontline folks, people who work in groceries and pharma- pharmacies, uh, research scientists. So I, I, I'm hoping that, especially for lower-paid folks who have worked and put themselves at risk to keep, you know, to keep us fed and to keep medicines in us, um, I, I think that's going to happen. Um, I think this uh, this is an opportunity for environmental change. Right. I mean, think you know, think about this. Literally, in a few days we could actually see improvements in the environment by shutting down certain human activities. Right. The air just cleaned up all over the world. So we could see it. We could see that change leading to an improvement in the environment. So okay. it could be an opportunity for the green uh, recovery or a green recovery. Well, on that uh, optimistic note, Professor oh. Fur, we will have to leave it there. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate okay. your insights. Thank it you. It's my pl- My pleasure. Thank you.